0: Well, hello everybody. Welcome to Hope and Anchor Church. It's good to see you here today. I'm looking forward to uh, spending time in God's Word together. I think uh, just at certain times, and maybe as I get older, uh, that becomes such an important part of my day. It's something I really look forward to. Is just that, like quieting, the centering, going to God's Word. Whether that's just in my own personal time with the Lord, but also you know weekly when we can gather and do that together. What a gift! I, I, I man. It's unfortunate that certain special, sacred things like that become so ordinary. Sometimes we're just like, well, whatever, what's going on on Instagram? You know, it's like we're going into the Word of God and we'd rather just scroll through and look at cat videos. I mean, it's like, ah, God, break us of our fixation with cat videos. We have the Word of God before us. We can go together and feed there. So God, I pray that our f- souls would be fed today as we go to your Word. May your Holy Spirit be at work in our midst, we ask in Jesus' name. We're continuing in our Rock of Ages series. I don't even have to look. This is week 22. I I looked ahead of time. (laughs) I was ready. And today's message is called Sheepdogs of the Great Shepherd. Sheepdogs of the Great Shepherd. Well, come on by. All right, today I want to talk a little bit about leadership and not in the way that usually leaves everyone like myself dry. (laughs) Because if I find myself in a meeting where like, today we're going to talk about leadership. Oh man. But today I want to talk about it as uh, the Apostle Peter uh, talked about it. What he wanted to communicate to the local church uh, and to specifically the leaders in that local church about what is it that a leader in the local church has to really hold closely at the center of their personality, their character, and of their walk with the Lord. Remember last week we talked a lot about, if you remember, humility. Remember St. Augustine, <laughs> Saint Augustine uh, said that the top three things in the Christian faith, like the top three essentials in the Christian faith. First, second, and third humility (laughs) that's like all of them humility well how does that apply then to leadership and that's what we want to talk about what does it mean to be in leadership in the church or otherwise what comes to mind for you what does it mean to be in leadership Set set an example good Oh yeah, never heard of it. <laughs> uh, good parking spots, right? You have an inbox in the church, right? Leadership. We hear a lot about it, but you know, really, when it comes down to it, what does it mean? How is it actually uh, performed, executed? What are the expected qualities of one who leads? What are some of the qualities you look for in one who leads? Servanthood. Servanthood. Wisdom. Wisdom. Patience. What's dependability. dependability? Okay. Humble confidence. Humble confidence. Okay. Um, they well. Hmm. They listen well. What's that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> they listen well. About, how do we know who? How do we know if someone is actually a leader versus just someone who happens to be in a position of authority? People follow right do people follow this person that's that's huge West sometimes in our organizational structures there are people who are in positions of authority but never develop actual leadership there's uh, there's never that investment in that development of qualities and characteristics that lead other people to trust to follow and to sacrifice for the cause because this person is doing likewise. I'm reading a book called Gates of Fire right now by Stephen Pressfield. This isn't in my notes, so, you know, but it's about the gates of Thermopylae, the, the 300 Spartans that went to stand against the Persian army at the hot gates to hold off, to try to buy like seven days' time for the rest of the Greek armies to organize. But, uh, just descriptions of King Leonidas and uh, some of the others, just their characters. There's certain leaders that weren't followed because they didn't have leadership. And there are others that the men would go and counted an honor to die alongside them in battle because they were leaders. They had, they had earned their loyalty and they would follow them to the death if necessary and so the big discrepancy between those who are just in positions of authority they have a title and a in an office or a position and those who have instilled leadership and relationship and trust in those following after them so at the end of the day how do we know if someone is leading and leading well how do we know? Uh, this last year, I was listening, I was reading a lot of George MacDonald's writings, which George MacDonald was born in Aberdeenshire, Scotland, in the year 1824. Uh, George MacDonald was a poet, he was an author, but he was also a pastor. Uh, and he is regarded as the father of modern fantasy and mythopoeia. Uh, he wrote, uh, 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 the Princess and the Goblin and a whole series in that, but he has a whole bunch of other writings as well, but he was big on myth-making. He was uh, kind of the father of modern fantasy. His writings, while important, went on to inspire a litany of other offer- authors through whom his writings were amplified and further popularized. Listen to this, this list of authors who directly uh, credit George MacDonald as one of their primary influences. Lewis Carroll, Oswald Chambers, Mark Twain, Madeline L'Engle, Flannery O'Connor, Dorothy Day, Thomas Merton, G.K. Chesterton, Louis Pasteur, J.R.R. Tolkien, and C.S. Lewis, among others. They all regard... MacDonald as a major literary and theological influence upon their own works, especially with C.S. Lewis. You can't spend much time with C.S. Lewis in his theological writings without him making reference to the Scottish preacher George MacDonald. So what is it about him? What is it about George MacDonald, this Scottish poet and preacher, that affected so many? For me, it was MacDonald's unassuming imagination. His ability to tell our story in the form of fairy stories, fairy tales. His insight into both human nature, but also into God's character. As a pastor, George MacDonald's care and sensitivity, it's balanced with searing clarity, and depth of conviction about what following Jesus Christ means, but also what following Jesus Christ demands." While listening to C.S. Lewis's collection of McDonald's teachings, I heard a quote that stopped me mid-run, actually literally mid-run, so that I could make notes. There I was at a picnic table along a trail on a point at the New Trails on uh, the south side of Fellows Lake. Anyone tracking with me there? Anyway, there I was, sweaty, besorted, writing down by voice to text a quote I heard uh, from George McDonald regarding sheepdogs strangely enough it was a quote regarding sheepdogs here mcdonald begins by outlining outlining the rights the rights that we can claim against god did you know you have rights that you can claim against god there are things that you can go to god and say god i deserve this i have rights that i can claim against you i'm going to tell you more about that so get excited McDonald then talks of sharp toothed sheepdogs of the great shepherd. Sharp toothed or sharp toothed sheepdogs of the great shepherd, whom God sends to correct, guide, and remind the sheep of his flock. George McDonald's statement here serves as a good starting point, I think, for exploring what leadership in the local church means, the role of elders and the response of the fellowship in following them. So here's that quote. It's Scottish preacher from the 1800s. Buckle up. But, lest it should be possible that any unchildlike soul might in arrogance and ignorance think to stand upon his rights against God and demand of him this or that after the will of the flesh, I will lay before such a possible one some of the things to which he has a right. Here are your rights if you wanna write these down. He has a claim on God then, a divine claim for any pain, want, disappointment, or misery that would help to show him to himself as the fool he is. <laughs> what? Youch! <laughs> that's the one thing. Well, that's the first thing I can claim against God. Is like, I deserve every, I lay claim to every pain, <laughs> all the misery that is required to show me to myself the fool that I am. He has a claim to be punished to the last scorpion of the whip, to be spared not one pang that may urge him towards repentance. Yea, he has a claim to be sent out into the outer darkness, whether what he call hell or something speechlessly worse, if nothing less will do. He has a claim to be compelled to repent, to be hedged in on every side, to have one after another of the strong, sharp-toothed sheepdogs of the great shepherd sent after him, to thwart him in any desire, foil him in any plan, frustrate him of any hope, until he comes to see at length that nothing will ease his pain. Nothing make life a thing worth having but the presence of the living God within him that nothing is good but the will of God, nothing noble enough for the desire of the heart of man, but oneness with the eternal. For this God must make him yield his very being, that he may enter in and dwell with him. What in the world? Maybe you can see why I had to stop. I had to capture this and remember it and bring that to you and say, see this, hear this, this is good. I needed this and I think we need this. Now admittedly, anyone who steps into church leadership because they desire to sink their teeth into the sheep (laughs) is wicked, is misguided in their motivation. If you sense that an elder or a pastor in your church, uh, a person in authority, Is craving power, if they are flaunting authority or lacking love, confront them or steer clear from them? Confront them or steer clear of them. An elder or a pastor in the local church must serve out of love for Jesus Christ, out of love for His bride. They must live faithfully. They must be growing in godliness, and they must be daily immersed in Scripture." Those are the qualities you're looking for in someone who steps into this servant role to lead in the church. Are they doing these things? Do they love Jesus first and foremost? Are they passionately committed to His bride? Are they living faithfully? Are they growing in godliness? And are they immersing themselves as a discipline in Scripture? N.T. Wright says, I would rather belong to a group or a fellowship where the leader has no idea about leadership but was out and out committed to God and the gospel than one where the person in charge had done three or four courses on leadership but had found it it left little time for studying scripture or for praying. You guys agree with that? You'd rather be in a group of people that's just got a willy-nilly leader that's just crazy about Jesus and loves the word than someone who's an expert on leadership but knows nothing of the gospel in their life. An elder's deepest desire should be to share gospel fruit with the flock and to lead them daily to deeper fellowship with the Good Shepherd because it's possible. It's possible through word and deed to be uh, leading in this role, leading the fellowship to deeper devotion and deeper experience and an encounter with the Good Shepherd. In that role, there will be times, yes, where the shepherd, the pastor, the elder, where he must stand before wayward sheep. There will be times where you must stand as elder or pastor. You must stand before wayward sheep and call them back from error. There are times, even when it's super uncomfortable or feels super awkward or confrontational, there are times you must go after them. You must go them after them as, the sh- as a sheepdog. As a pastor, an elder, you are called to be a sheepdog. And sometimes you have to go after these wayward sheep. As a sheepdog of the great shepherd, you must bring conviction upon them and let loose with a little bit of chomp-chomp. It just happens. You must go after them with the teeth sometimes. And no one likes that. It's in my notes, chomp-chomp. It's in italics too, so sorry. What am I supposed to do? It's right there. But when that happens, this desire must stem from a deep love for the truth and an affection for Jesus and an undeniable desire to lead those in his care into real faith, vibrant hope, and enduring love. Search the motives of those in spiritual leadership over you. Sometimes, yes, they will come right up into your personal space and say things you don't want to hear. They'll be the things that, there will be maybe that person that comes and directly observes that which you've been trying to hide from others. That you don't want others to see, calling out sin, calling out uh, a lackadaisical spirit, calling out things that are obstructing your walk with the Lord, but also maybe obstructing our walk together with the Lord. The pastor is sometimes the person that comes and has to say the awkward thing poke that painful wound, uncover it so that it might be healed, addressed and healed. But your job is to search your motives, but also search that leader's motives. What is the end goal? Are they operating? Are they uh, entering into an uncomfortable situation out of a deep love for the truth? Is there an, an affection for Jesus? And is there this undeniable desire to lead those in care into real vibrant, and enduring faith, hope, and love. Because if that's truly there, that makes all that discomfort, all of that relational disruption that may result worth it, right? Because I want you to know, I want you to have these things too. I want you to have a deep love for the truth. I want you to have a real affection for Jesus and an undeniable desire to enter into and live out this faith, hope, and love that is possible in our midst. Does that make sense? So ask the right questions. What are the motives here? What's going on in the heart of the leader, but also in my own heart? Most of all, an elder must serve in the spirit of humility. Otherwise, they themselves are straying from the example Jesus Christ himself set for us. At root, fundamentally, foundationally, if your pastor or elder is not leading from a place of humility, they have strayed to one degree or another from the example that Jesus set for us, but also commended to us through his own words, but also through the words of the apostles. This understanding of the necessity of humility in leadership and in the fellowship serves as a backdrop, then, for the, the first part of the Apostle Peter's closing instructions. Okay, we're finishing up his first letter. So this is the first part of his closing instructions to the first century church and to us that we find in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And now, a word to you who are elders in the churches. I, too, am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I, too, will share in His glory when He is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God. Why? For he cares about you. As I get older, that's like becoming one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. For he cares for you. That the creator God of the universe, he cares. He cares about you. You. Me. He cares. He cares. He has good healing and whole intentions toward me. He cares about me. It blows my mind. So verses 1 through 4. And now, word to you who are elders in the churches I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never ending glory and honor. You notice here at the very beginning of that, verse 1. Uh, the New Living Translation starts with, and now, and now. And your version that you might be looking at, it might say, therefore. Uh, the New International Version has none of this connective uh, tissue there. It doesn't have any words that connect it to what happened before. But the actual, uh, man, the words here point backwards at the beginning. And now, or therefore. This connects chapter 5 with Peter's teachings in chapter 4, which were all about what? Do you remember? Suffering, right. <laughs> it begins with, ends with, offering, right? Suffering. The hardships and challenges the church faces requires, it requires skillful and wise and gentle pastors, So I think it's interesting that Peter's uh, kind (laughs) of gathering up all that talk about persevering under suffering and staying faithful and walking in humility uh, ties it into the imperative of good leadership. He says, hey, this situation in the fellowship requires skillful, wise, and gentle pastors who will guide and correct and care for those under their leadership. Peter, no doubt, felt the weight of this. He felt the weight of the pastoral role, and so he commends other elders to lead with readiness, with enthusiasm, and most of all, humility. N.T. Wright goes on to say, The call to be a humble shepherd is the call to the true strength in which one doesn't have to shout or bully. Okay, the call to be a humble shepherd is the call to the true strength in which one doesn't have to shout or bully because the work of humble service has forged such a strong bond between the shepherd and the sheep that the shepherd only needs to walk towards the pasture and the sheep will follow. This reminds me of what Jesus says, the sheep will know the shepherd's voice. Someone else tries to come in the sheep pen, they'll know and they'll run away, but they know this voice. As an under shepherd, then the sheep of this particular local flock should know the voice of their shepherd that God's placed in leadership, so that wherever he goes, they should be willing to lead and eager to uh, follow. I'm sorry, follow. Elders must remember that they are under shepherds. What does it mean to be an under shepherd? Anyone have a lot of uh, shepherding experience? There's the head shepherd, and then there were those underneath, subordinate, being appointed and directed and given responsibility by the great shepherd or the the head shepherd. So elders, pastors, must remember that they are under shepherds, appointed by the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, beginning to end, and he is the one that will bring the reward in the end. An elder's humble leadership is to be guided by three checkpoints. An elder's humble leadership is to be guided by three checkpoints, and we find these in verse 2 and 3. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly and not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. In verse 3, don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your good example. So the first checkpoint, watch over the flock willingly and not grudgingly. Number two, what, uh, serve out of an eagerness to please God and not personal gain. Okay, serve out of eagerness to please God, not for personal gain. And then three, don't throw your weight around. Instead, lead with the example of your good life. Okay, lead with the example of your life. Uh, follow me as I follow Christ. An elder must be held accountable to these checkpoints, by himself and by the other elders and by the congregation because the challenge is great and the enemy is real. In, verse, in chapter 5, if you look down to verse 8 and 9, remember this passage? Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. So don't forget... There's, real, uh, there's a real enemy that is really at work. And if a, the enemy is going to attack the church, don't be surprised if it comes for the shepherd first. So you have to be a voice that's willing to bring some accountability when necessary. Um, so yeah, does that make sense? Can you say number one? Now, here's the three checkpoints again. Watch over the flock willingly and not grudgingly. Number two, serve out of eagerness to please God and not for personal gain. And three, don't throw your weight around. Instead, lead with the example of your good life. Be humbly and honestly willing to say to your people, follow me as I follow Christ. I've oftentimes, in my younger days, I thought Paul was being a little bit like big for his spiritual britches when he's saying to people like, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Just watch me, you'll get this. Watch me work, you know. But when you hear it, I think in the right, right frame of mind, There's an accountability, a vulnerability there, especially when a pastor says it, that says, can look at anybody in their congregation and say, follow me as I follow Christ. If you follow me, uh, pattern your life after the pattern of my life, it ought to lead you into deeper fellowship and communion with Jesus. It ought to lead you into more Christ-likeness and spiritual maturity. And if not, something is really wrong. So I hear it now as this like uh, laying your whole life before your people and say, hey, search my life so that I'm able to legitimately say, follow me as I follow Christ, and I'll lead you in the right direction. I think that's what Paul's saying for sure. Let's look at verses 5 through 7. In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time He will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. So just as the elders in the church, uh, which is those who are older in age oftentimes, but also those who are older in the faith... Meaning more mature in the faith. They've been walking this path uh, for many years. They're further down the road that you're on uh, in a lot of of ways. Just as elders, those older in age and in faith have responsibilities in the church, which is characterized as humble leadership, so those who are younger in the faith, and younger in age oftentimes, uh, their responsibility is humble acceptance of the authority of those elders and pastors appointed over them. There's a glad-giving mutual submission that happens here. Going beyond preference and personality, believers humbly submit to their elders and their pastors out of respect for God himself. Remember, we touched on this in weeks past, but ultimately, uh, your uh, willingness to submit to the leadership in our church is really a willingness to submit to God himself. Because God, for one reason or another, appointed the leadership in our church. So your decision daily, your spiritual practice is to say, hey, I'll submit to that authority uh, in my church because I respect God himself. As they say in the military, respect the uniform and not the man. Basically, the person that's been placed in this role uh, is, is, uh, is due some respect and following because of the role and responsibility they've taken on and been appointed to by God. Uh, your responsibility isn't so much to honor my position as a pastor here as it is to honor God in placing me here. Does that make sense? This is really feels weird to talk about. But, but really, your responsibility to honor My position as pastor in the local fellowship is really about honoring God because he placed me and the other elders in authority here for whatever reason, whether you see it or not. It's not up for a vote so much like, hey, do you feel like we should uh, honor and respect this leader in the church? Well, if they're in leadership in the church, there's just a baseline respect and and authority that needs to be accepted in that situation. Uh, and just like God honors and rewards elders and shepherds who serve faithfully, He honors and rewards those who humbly submit to them, too. Uh, that's the promise we find in the Apostles' writings. So, <laughs> as awesome as today's teachings may feel and be, uh, it's actually kind of challenging. I, mean, I don't like talking about this stuff, but it's there. While today's teachings may be challenging for both the elders and for the flock, no, it is ultimately about honoring God. It's ultimately about faithfully following the good shepherd. Okay, There's spiritual, uh, cosmic implications about how we behave and live out our faith here. Does that make sense? We live in a time that is rife with suspicion. We live in a time that is rife with suspicion of leadership. There's been a multitude of bad examples and of abuses by those in authority. There's been failures to love and failures to serve with humility. I get it. I see it, and to some degree I'm complicit in that. It's really easy to become cynical. It's really easy to become resistant to anything anyone tries to tell you to do, maybe especially in the church. Because those in leadership in the church have gone off uh, on crusades, you know, uh, um, taking stands on issues that have not been very loving, and they've burned a lot of lumber before bridges have even been built. And so sometimes people have this cynicism toward the church, it's like, well if it comes from the church, they make this, what is it, the ad hominem fallacy, it's like, uh, uh, anything they say is wrong because that person is wrong. You know, it's like they expand it to like, well if it comes from the church it's just by default wrong, or bad, or or, uh, wicked, or whatever, it can't be trusted and people inside and out the tr- outside the church fall into that fallacious thinking. And I feel it too, it's easy to become cynical and resistant. But, but but please know this. Jesus is faithful. When every pastor on the face of the planet is not faithful, when everyone has fallen away, when nothing else can be trusted, know this, Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. And he is worthy of all our praise, all our honor, and all of our obedience. So look to Jesus, and may I help you. May Curtis, may Aaron, whoever else that you sit under the spiritual authority of, may they help you see Jesus more clearly. May their words and their actions, their, the ways that they serve, the ways that they lead, may they frame a window for you to see more clearly the work of God in the world and the work of God in your life. It's all about Jesus. He is faithful and he is worthy. May stark, The stark accountability that comes from saying, along with the Apostle Paul, follow me as I follow Christ, may it keep me in the Word. May it keep me praying. That's what you can expect of me. That's what you, you ought to expect of anyone in spiritual leadership in the church. That they are, they are dwelling in the Word. They're hiding it in their heart, and they are praying. Passionately and purposefully, they're praying, keep me humble. Help me to be what you need. Help me to be a true sheepdog of the great shepherd in this flock. Hopefully, this mentality, this commitment, it lifts a burden off of all of our backs that we are ultimately accountable to the one who knows us, who calls us, and who has sent us to serve in the church and in the world. For me, that's a, that's a burden lifted off my back in a weird way. It's not that I'm chasing my tail trying to meet all the expectations you guys have for me. My job is to look first to Jesus. Say, what would He have me do? What would He have me do? I would rather please Him than to please you. I would rather please Him than please myself. So I look to Christ And would you look to Christ as well? When we struggle to lead well and when we struggle to serve well, when imperfections in leadership and in followership disappoint us, may we look to Jesus because he is indeed the author and the perfecter of all of our faiths. He is the one who began this good work in us. He is the one who is faithful to begin and to finish that good work, to bring to completion the good work he began in you. Not me. May I be part of that. May I be catalytic in that. But it's all about Jesus. So let's plant our feet and fix our eyes upon Him and Him alone. And may we choose today to cast all of our cares upon God. Why? Oh, my friends, because He is the one who is caring for us. He is the one caring for us perfectly, eternally, through the faithful ministry of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, goodness. Thank you for uh, the way you spoke through the Apostle Peter and how his words written so long ago find their way to us and have something really important to say to all of us in leadership, uh, all of us in followership, in this local congregation. God, I pray that you would give us ears uh, that are humble, hearts that are humble, that we can hear that and that we can uh, desire that, strive toward uh, a life that uh, issues forth from humility, is lived in humility, is willing to submit to your Lordship expressed in this place through very imperfect people. Lord, we hear the words of Scripture in... uh, they're provoking sometimes they're difficult to talk about because it's just uh it feels weird but may paul's words challenge us as we look to those who you've placed us in spiritual authority over there whether that's in our homes whether that's in the church or whether that's just in our relationships that we would be able to say and feel all the accountability that comes with it follow me as i follow christ i pray for the fathers here That they would be able to say that to their wives, to their children, to their friends. Follow me as I follow Christ. I pray for the mothers here. That they would be able to look to their husbands and to their children and the people in their life and their social network of friends and be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. I pray that for the the young people as they're going out into the world as, as troubadours of the gospel, as cities on a hill. Assault. I pray that they would be able to look to their friends and with confidence and boldness and courage say, Follow me as I follow Christ. If you follow me, I'll lead you to Jesus. God, I pray you keep our feet on the right path. I pray you keep our hearts oriented to the true north. God, grow us, help us to be free of unrealistic or unbiblical expectations. Lord, point out the ways that we've relied on uh, just leadership practices that we see in the world of of, uh, throwing weight around, of lording authority over people. But God, may we lead through servanthood, through a humble heart. And may everything we do and say be framed and be just set up against the backdrop of your worthiness, your glory, and your goodness, that you care for us. God, it's all about you. So God, may we see Jesus replete in all of this, we ask. And it's in his name that we pray this. We're gonna take a moment or two just to sit with the Lord, to contemplate, to pray. Maybe there's something that you need to go and pray with someone. In that case, I'll be right there at the back. Curtis is back there too. You've got people here that would love to pray with you. We can go to the Lord together. But we do this on purpose. This so that we might engage with and sit with and speak with the Lord who cares for us. So make the most of this opportunity.